Well, good morning. Seems like I want to have a devotion in our opening. <laughs> it happens. The Lord is still good. Time moves on. We're still here. And just pray our hearts are ready. For the Lord to minister this morning. Well, is our baptism group all here? As far as I can tell. I guess my my heart this morning is, is pointed towards that group again. And we did spend some time already with you. It was a blessing. And um, I guess this morning I want to do a, a little bit of a review. And hopefully it's an encouragement, an exhortation. And I want to uh, talk about coming to Christ. And some of us sitting here probably may feel, well, I've been there, I've done that. And um, maybe it's true. Um, but one thing that I've noticed in my 20-some years into the Word of God, that all of these subjects, once you come back to them, it's refreshing. It, it, opened, it, it opens up new avenues a lot of times that we even missed. And I think that is also the grace of God in working in our hearts and in, in humility. If we would get everything the first day, once we come to the, the acknowledgement of Christ, um, I don't think the picture would be pretty. <laughs> there would be a lot of high-minded, um, proudful believers walking around. And so it's a growth. It's a, it's a life of giving ourselves to him and, and growing from faith to faith. And one of the, the precautions I want to warn on, another one is, is to understand what Christ did. I, I believe we're, we're living in a day and age where a lot of it is knowledge. And not only knowledge, it's um, we, we try to convince ourselves of a certain position. And, and we learn to say the right things at the right time. Hopefully we'll be convinced even more. And that's not quite the case. The kingdom life is a, is a life devoted. It is not a, a mental aspiration that we aspire to, but it's a life of obedience. And I want to focus in how that comes to be. And I know we could probably open our scripture and we could get a lot more points here. We could dive in more and through Romans and through the Gospels. Um, but I just want to bring somewhat of a simple picture of what's going on and hopefully we can be blessed by it and encouraged 
So before we do that, let's bow our heads before the Lord. Lord, we come before you again in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who had made it possible that we have access unto your throne of grace. We want to come before you boldly this morning. We want to call upon you, Lord God, for your grace and for your mercy upon our lives, even this, this hour here, especially, Lord, to open your word and to see, O oh Lord God, what you've provided, what you've given. Lord, to not take lightly, Lord Jesus, what, what you've done for us and what you're offering us. And to also be reminded, Lord, that we're living in a time of grace, or maybe it's a time of need to redeem this time to redeem this time for our salvation, to stand before you, Lord, as a redeemed people that love you, that serve you, that serve those around us, Lord. Lord, we pray that your word may minister to our hearts this morning. We pray that we will look at the words and that speak of truth, that we may examine our hearts. And Lord, we pray for you, Holy Spirit, to be here, to prick our hearts, to give us a glimpse of reality for the day that we stand before you and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. May that be a reality to us this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that your presence may fill this room, that there is no room for the enemy here or distraction. We're pulling our hearts away from your word. So we ask you to bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we're talking and teaching on baptism, and it's like everything, we automatically start to ponder the whole concept of baptism and the happening surrounding it. And one of the biggest mystery, which is mentioned in the word, is Colossians 1.27. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And in how this mystery comes to fruition in our lives. Yes, we have knowledge. We know all the cliched expressions of have Jesus in your heart, of um, have you given your life to Jesus. We, we know all these expressions. But yet, there is a reality of it that is powerful, that is capable of turning our world upside down, of changing the way we think, changing the way we function. It's capable of changing our culture. It's capable of changing our character. It's powerful. The question is, <clears throat> do we fully embrace it? I want to start out with a scripture reading <clears throat> out of Romans 5. 
If you can go there, we're going to start with that. And these passages give an overview of the believer's life that have set their heart to follow Christ. And it's the first five word verses, and they always they've always captured my attention. Starting in verse one, <clears throat> therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, most of us will raise our hands and say, Amen to these two verses. I'm sorry. <coughs> Yeah, I have one here. And we'll say, yes, amen. I am justified by faith. I stand in the grace of God. And I rejoice in that hope. And yes, we have to ask ourselves, is it a reality? Is that true? Because let's look at the other three verses. And not only that, okay, we do not just now rejoice in being justified by faith and standing in the grace. And, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. And knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And now hope does not disappoint because, and here's why, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Now, this is a, this is a mouthful here. This is a, a whole package here that makes us, okay, what's going on here? We have Paul rejoicing the fact that we have access to the grace of God by faith, and he also feels blessed, very understandably, that he can stand in that. Okay, we get that. But what catches my attention is when he comes to verse 3 and he said, not only that, but we also glory. We glory in tribulation. <clears throat> now the question is, what kind of an inner working does it need in a man to rejoice in tribulation? You know, it, it does sound <clears throat> it does sound complicated, but I think it's actually simple. It's simply a heart that has given himself to the Lord and that has accepted the Holy Spirit into his life and let has let allow the Holy Spirit to start refining and shaping and molding him. Because one of the attributes that is important here is understanding. Understanding the working of the Holy Spirit. 
And knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. There's a, there's a whole line that is being built on one another if, if we allow the Lord to work in our lives. To have a vision and understanding of the will of God in our lives and know what it takes. To know what it takes to shape us and mold us. And uh, I believe the only way to understand that is to, is to realize in what state we are and who we, who we actually are in our flesh. He starts out with chapter 5 with, Therefore, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. So how does that happen? So first we have to ask ourselves <clears throat> if we are at peace with God right now. If there's peace and reconciliation between me and my Creator God. If we are, why has there been a ever been a time when there was no peace? <clears throat> Do we understand that? To properly appreciate and understand what peace is with God, we have to understand, and I mean understand, our disposition before God in our sin nature. And I've come to the understanding that many, many people feel or they felt they were just a little bit naughty and now they don't want it to be anymore and they ask Jesus to forgive them. Is that, does that concept sound right or wrong? We were just a little bit naughty and uh, I want to quit. I want to be better now. Jesus, can you forgive me? I think there's something seriously wrong with that concept. And I believe if that is how we feel, we will continue to struggle in our sin. We will continue to struggle with our nature. And I mean, we all struggle with our sin nature. But I mean as controlling our lives because we've never dealt with a sin nature. So how did it all start? Well, it started when the deceiver, as a serpent, visited God's precious creation and started planting doubt into the heart of Eve. Genesis 3, verse 1. Yeah, you should go there. Go to Genesis 3, because I'm going to read a little bit out of it. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Of this verse, 
we recognize there are steps involved in the enemy um, gaining ground in our lives. And the step number one is right here. Have you ever wondered that? Step number one to sin or even backsliding is questioning God, questioning the authority of God, questioning who he is, questioning what he's saying, and questioning the authenticity of his word. And I know sometimes in circus, this gets mixed up with questioning out of a heart that wants to know more. But a heart that's questioning and wants to know more only grows from faith to faith. But when it comes to questioning where God puts a statement or a period is when we start down a slippery slope. Does God really mean what he says here? Is that true? Should we trust the word of God? On and on. And this is usually step number one. There's no sin there yet. But we started down that trail. Down to verse 4. Maybe I'll just read everything. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the garden, of, of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here we have step two, mixing a lie, a li casting a lie mixed with truth. That what is the lie? You will not surely die. And which they will die. Of course, they did not fall over and die, but something drastically happened there, and they eventually even died physically. And the truth is, they will be knowing good and evil. And so, building on the doubt they give, he gave to Eve, he cast a lie and a truth, and like totally messed up her, probably her, her thinking to the point where she couldn't resist of that good fruit that was hanging before her. And it all starts with questioning the authority of God, questioning what God had actually said. So verse 6. So when a woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the tree of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, 
I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the three and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And we can see here the ownership. Passing it on. The woman whom you give me. The serpent. But Adam and Eve were put out. If they weren't at fault, they would have been innocent. And I like to pause here and say one of the way, one of the ways we can deceive ourselves, one of the ways we can spin our wheels, so to speak, spiritually, is to never take ownership of sin. Usually someone else is to blame, and the classical is, the devil made me do it. Yes, maybe the devil will take advantage of our disposition. But usually it's us that engage in sin, that trespass the law of God. Usually it's us that doesn't. And once you come to that place, even when you kneel before the Lord or you talk with another brother or sister and you find yourself pointing to other people, pointing maybe as young people to your parents or pointing to your leadership or also the devil made me do it. Just realize you're just kicking the can down the road to the next event. And by doing that, we entrap ourselves even more into our sin and into our lifestyle. In order to deal with sin, we have to take ownership. It's us. So from 14 to 21, there is the uh, God basically gives the judgment. And we'll go down to 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. So there is that that hinge of truth that the enemy used. That man has become like one of us. That's what God said. To know good and evil. And now, now listen to this. Lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and need and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Edom to till the ground from which he was taken. So in other words, if, we would have, if he could have stayed there, he could have walked over to the tree of life and eat and live forever. God said, no, that, this cannot happen. 
you have to get out of here. And he, so he drove out a man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, a flaming sword, and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So the tree of life was cut off from man. There was no access anymore to the tree of life. There was no access unless through Christ. There was no easy fix here. Something has had to happen. Atonement needed to happen. So then men die. Not physically right away fell over, of course. But something tragically happened, that in, and that is the holiness and righteousness of God departed that kept him in fellowship with him. The departure of that sin left him with a sin nature that we have all inherited. Because life departed, God departed, death came in. So the nature of a human being took over, which is inherited, inherited, inheritedly evil. The removal from the garden is noticeable here too because a redeemer had to make the transgression right. And not only is the atonement, but also the sanctification process that is being done to be conformed into the image of Christ. And we can see the wisdom of God in that, of taking the time of not only a bringing the atonement, but also the sanctification versus just going over to another tree of somehow participating in life. There's the atonement and the sanctification now. We're born in innocence. I believe so, but with our inherited sin nature. Proverbs 29:15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. What's, what's the overall wisdom behind this verse? What, what is it saying us? It implies that something inherited is setting us off to a wrong start. And it needs an intervention to change that course. A child left to himself <clears throat> will bring his mother to shame. A child left to himself, the sin nature will take over. Destruction. Proverbs 19, 18. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Chasten your son while there is hope. Why does it say, while there is hope? Because, yes, we're born with a sinful nature. But what happens is that nature grows and calluses and takens and gets stronger. More subtle, but stronger. So while there is hope, we chase, we change course in our children. <clears throat> and the pattern 
and the curse of sin of the sin nature needs to be broken needs to be broken and that can only happen through Christ if not as i said it only gets worse more subtle but worse go to romans 1 <clears throat> Romans chapter 1 brings a good picture of what happens to Christless people. People. We have to realize we are people. Romans chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to do a read on 18 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And he goes on to say there are obvious ways to know that there is a god because there is no because there's no adherence to the obvious all around us that there is a creator god. So it basically there is no excuse. If we look around we can see there is a god. It should capture our attention. Hey, what's going on here? And 21 because although they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened and we can see a pattern forming okay i will read now from 22 to the end of the chapter and as i do that ask yourself if you know of such a people just keep that in mind verse 22 professing to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible god into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things therefore god also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of god for the lie and worshiped and served the creator the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen for this reason god gave them up to vile passions for even their woman exchanged her natural use for what is against nature likewise all the men living a natural use of the woman burdened their lusts for one another men with men committing what is shameful and receiving themselves the penalty of their error which was due and even as they did not like to retain god in their knowledge god gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality wickedness covetousness maliciousness full of envy murder strife deceit evil mindedness there are whispers backbiters haters of god violent proud boasters inventors of evil things disobedient to parents undiscerning untrustworthy unloving unforgiving unmerciful who knowing the righteous judgment of god that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them so have you come up with someone or a people that paul describes here Well, let I got news for you. If you properly identified yourself in this passage without Christ in your life, 
you're on the right path. This is us. This is us, our sin nature, being left to itself. Don't stray far, don't look far and wide of these bad, bad people. This is what's in us. A lot of times people stop at verse 27 and says, this is the epitome of it they've been giving over. That's not Paul's point here. He's pointing out that we're all in need of salvation. Some of the sins in 29 down to 31 are rampant, even among who call themselves God's people. Why? Because the flesh still rules. The flesh is on the throne. Christianity is an ideology and idea that has not transformed the inner life. But there's, there's a way out. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O oh man, wherever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. Paul is saying, you're all, you're all guilty of that. And this is why we look to Romans 5, 1 and 2. We see the miraculous working that God can do in our lives or has done. And this is why we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God to be set free from this bondage from this chain of our sin nature and we unashamedly come before Christ and we give our lives to him we confess that we are lost without him we confess that is us Lord without you that is me this is how we come before Christ this is how we come to the cross that is me Not only do we have to deal with our that inherited sin nature before we come to Christ, but we have a deceiver that is running around and looking for an opportunity and is seeking who we may devour. So we could say the cards are stacked against us. Knowing what we've been born with, knowing that there's a warfare out there, and yet, we have come to a place. We can come to a place where there is a redemption, where there's where there's offered free, where there's offered salvation to come out of that. And this is freedom. <clears throat> if anyone tries to tell you what freedom is, doing whatever you want, that's a lie. We are free from the bondage of that sin nature. This is freedom. And we serve Christ not being 
tore down, not being destroyed every day, not being ruled by our sin nature, but it's only in yielding our heart, our will, our mind to the will of Christ. <clears throat> and if we never come to the place, I want to say that here because I think it's important. We are smart creatures. Animals are animals that just go by instinct. We have a mind that can think, that can figure things out. We can look at this list here and say, I will, I will do something about it. I will make sure I will stop backbiting. I will make sure I'm not violent anymore. And um, I'll try to forgive and be merciful. You know, we can try and we can be very subtle about it. But we'll never conquer it. It'll pop up, pop up, pop up, time and time again. And here's the scary part. I always warn my high schoolers with that. Today is the day. Seek your creator in your youth. Because as we grow older, we learn to navigate around these things. We learn to be smart with it. We learn to stay away from this situation or this person. Or this, so we, you know, stay somewhat within a boundary. But the best we'll ever be is we'll probably avoid trouble. Because we're also getting tired, we're getting old. Once you come into your mid middle years, you're, you, the energy is disappearing. So you know how to deal with it. But, we, but what's tragic about, is we, about it, we just get wiser in worldly things, how to deal with it. The transformation, the regeneration that the Holy Spirit brings doesn't function like that. We surrender it. We admit it. We repent of it. And we say, this is me. This is me, Lord, and I need help. I have come to the conclusion that the biggest hindrance to finding salvation in our disposition is us busy serving self. And not only, as I said, we get older, but we also get wiser. As we mature in society, we know how to react and converse in our environment to protect us. We try to come off as having it all together. Like the building engineers and architectures of the 21st century. They make these big fronts and behind there, there's a little shack. Looks like it's standing there. If we're not careful, this is what we're doing with our life. We come off as standing strong and big. When you look behind, there is this tiny shack that's serving, like, let's say a restaurant. Everybody's diner, and there's a nice, huge facade. When we go behind the facade, there's a shack there that stinks, that's filthy food. We have to be very careful we don't do that. The new covenant is working from the inside out, not with facades. And it's in bowing ourselves 
down to the King of Kings. We have to be careful that we're not serving an unsurrendered giant that is living inside of us. But bow down to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. And so we know the only way to transform us is from the inside out through the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And it's more than claiming it. It's more than picking verses out in the Bible and highlighting it. That's me, Lord. It's more than selecting verses and making memory verses. You know, every promise in the Bible is in its context. If you do that, this is your promise. And the only way, like I said, is from the inside out through the gospel. And it takes humility. It takes humility. And this is why the very first line that we have on the Sermon on the Mount is about humility. Jesus started his sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit remind you of? There is not much fight left. There is a recognizing what's against me. Recognizing this mountain of self, recognizing this mountain of this sin nature is going against me. It's ready to devour me. But Jesus said, if you come like this, theirs is, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're, you're, you're the candidate. You're a candidate to be part of my kingdom. He told Nicodemus after he made the declaration to Jesus that he must, he must be a teacher of God, he said. But Jesus said, you must be born again. He came right back to him. And he never come to that place. There has to be enough humility to recognize our disposition for help. I need help. Especially recognize the grace of God that has been, that has been extended to us. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. And he goes on to say, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with, is with him. See, the Jews had an understanding that if a prophet is among them, that does signs and wonders, that he is most likely from God. In Peter's first sermon after Pentecost, he stated, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God. Attested means to show, prove, or state that it's real. A man attested by God to you, but how? By miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. So, Nicodemus saw there was something about this man. Something is going on. So, he secretly paid him a visit. And he, he knew, okay, there's a healing here. There's a, what he's saying. As to said, this man spoke with authority. 
He's doing these miracles, he's doing these wonders, just as was prophesied of what we're speaking about, a prophet, a messiah. So he paid Jesus a visit. And then we have this famous dialogue. After he told him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this, this reply from Jesus just makes me wonder what he was implying with, what he was implying with verse 3. There is this born again. Born again to what? To see. Like, Okay, you have to change your concept here. And this is something new, though. And I believe it has to happen with all of us. And what has to come into our focus is Jesus and what Jesus is saying. Not us, it's Jesus. And then Nicodemus came back to him and said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Like this must have been a new concept to a teacher here. And we can see it's totally foreign to him. So Jesus clarified it. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So did he clarify his first statement? Or did he point it out even clearer what needs to happen? There's seeing and then there's the faith that makes it happen. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say it to you. You must be born again. I'm not sure how we want to identify born again in our own life. And I'm not really big for that. But this is one thing I know. That there's a before and after. There's a serving of flesh and of sin. And there's a resurrected life. This is what I'm looking for. And the fruit tell us that. The fruit of the Spirit or the works of the flesh, Galatians 5. We have people getting hung up on a date, on a testimony, years and years and years. But the important part is you must be born again. Something new has to happen. And it's not complicated. It's recognizing that. It's yielding ourselves to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. It takes faith and it takes some humility. It takes a realization that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. No more the old way, Nicodemus. 
No, may, no more the way you've looked at it. Right in front of you is the way, the truth, and the life. You have to look through life for a whole new set of lenses. On our part, we have to admit to our disposition. And we repent because we're pricked in our hearts. And we come to the place as the first believers in the first century did after hearing Peter's sermon. And when they heard this, they were cut to the hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Since the beginning of time, man has recognized that there is a God. And it seems even reading through a scripture, it's always been a people or a remnant that served Jehovah God. And as I ponder and think of the dynamics of our relationship with God, I see these dynamics throughout the ages. There, there are a few characteristics that never changed, like Righteousness and truth. Worshiping, worshiping God with singleness of heart. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Having faith in God and trusting God. Obey his commandments. They never changed. But one thing does change. If we come to him by faith. In a new covenant. And we surrender our lives to him. And accept him as our Lord and Savior. There is this miraculous happening of God putting his spirit within us. And as we continue with him in humility, he writes his laws on our hearts and on our minds. This is real. This is not just a pretty quote or a verse to put on our living room wall. If I yield Myself, wholeheartedly, to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. It's a promise. He will put His Spirit within us. And He will write His laws on our minds and on our hearts. And writing it on our hearts is for changed lives. Our whole being changed. It's who we are is transformed and changed. We are changing. Writing it on our minds is the knowledge of His, law, of his laws. And we grow in principle, we go in stature, going off the law that we know. We need our heart and our mind to function. It will just be our heart will never get to the point of salvation because there is no knowledge. If we just have knowledge, we deceive ourselves. If it, if it rides it on our hearts, we will change. The Holy Spirit's work in a person's life is changing his character into his likeness. That is the evidence. And he takes, takes surroundings, he takes our circumstances in life, whatever it may be, 
he finds ways, if we submit to him, to change us into his likeness. So now let's look at Romans 5.3 again. Not only do we glory in our faith and our justification, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope is not maybe, 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 maybe. Hope is I'm standing on the promises of God that he is giving to his children that obey him, that follow him. This is hope. We stand on that hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts while the Holy Spirit was given to us. Because of that miraculous work that God has done in us, we then grow from faith to faith and we see and inherit the promises of God as we grow. And we do not randomly open the word and start claiming promises. We grow from faith to faith through obedience. Seeking to obey the one who saved me from destruction and the wrath of God. I wanted to talk a little bit more about faith, but I will conclude here with a reading out of Colossians. You can all go there, Colossians chapter 1, and we'll do verses 9 to 14. <clears throat> Colossians, <clears throat> verse 1, sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is, remember, he's, he's saying that here to the believers. Since we've heard, since we've heard it, we do not cease to pray for you. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power. For all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. As long as we can say, I was in my inherited sin. It was all in me. This is who I am. I have been redeemed because, listen to verse 13 again. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. May we this morning clearly recognize our identity in Christ. 
May it be clear to us that without Christ, we're lost. And this is no joke, and this is not just cliched expressions here. We are lost. May there be a time when we sit in our devotions that we can reflect on that. How he has conveyed us into the kingdom of, his, of the son of his love. May we see and find in our lives the transformation from our lost state into the kingdom of light which we once were in. And if we sit here this morning and have not been redeemed, then the time is now. No, ex no excuses, no, well, it's because of this or that. No, it's clear. It's not complicated. It's a surrender. Living the kingdom life is joyous and fulfilling. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If love, peace and joy reign in your bodies, and you know the Lord is doing his redemptive work in you. So, amen.